Voices of VR podcast. Hello, my name is Ken Pai, and welcome to the Voices of VR podcast. It's a podcast that looks at the future of spatial computing and the structures and forms of immersive storytelling. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. So continuing on on my 24-episode series of South by Southwest 2023, today's episode is with a 360 video piece called Fresh Memories, The Look, which is about the aftermath of the war in Ukraine. And so this is a co-production between a Czech director of Andrei Moravec, which I talked to him at Venice with his first piece called The Darkening. And then also from the Ukrainian side, there's a director, Volodymyr Kolbasa. And so this piece came together because they wanted to do some project around the war in Ukraine. And so what they did is they went to a city in Ukraine, which was very much impacted by the war called Kharkiv. And they found these different places that were bombed out. They took people who had some association with that place and then very simply had them look into the camera and you're looking into their eyes and you're hearing the soundscape of what that place sounded like when it was flourishing and in its full capacity of still existing rather than being completely destroyed by the war. A simple concept, but extremely effective and drawing this deeper emotional impact of connecting to the people and the effects of the war in Ukraine. And yeah, just the music that they selected of this Ukrainian folk song at the end was just really deeply moving. And so I had a chance to talk to them about this piece and their process of collaboration, how this piece came about, as well as also really beautiful installation that had this projection mapped on top of it that you stand around as you do this immersive experience. So really, really deeply emotionally impactive. And yeah, I have a chance to talk to both the directors of Andre and Volodymyr about their piece and their process. So that's what we're coming on today's episode of the Voices of VR podcast. So this interview with Andre and Volodymyr happened on Monday, March 13th, 2023. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. So my name is Andre and I'm the XR director and producer. And this is my second project. The first one was Darkening, which was premiered in Venice last year. And this is our new project about war in Ukraine. I'm Volodymyr Kolbasa. I am co-directed this project and as this is the Czech-Ukrainian co-production, so I am director, so to say, on Ukrainian side, Andre is director on Czech side, but this project was like our very close collaboration, so it was, the idea was iterated a couple of times and we worked together on the editing, so it was very good collaboration. Well, it still is a good collaboration. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe you could give a bit more context to each of your backgrounds and your journey into making this type of immersive work. Well, I started uh, as a programmer for a festival called One World, which is a human rights film festival. So I was interested more for the like flat films at the beginning, but then we started to create the section of the VR or immersive pieces there. That was the first time when the interest caught me, like for the immersive stuff. So uh, I started to do the selection for several other festivals around the Czech Republic. And then one day I decided that I don't want to be only a programmer, like festival programmer, but also the creator, because I studied filmmaking, I studied screenwriting. So I decided to step on the field. Yeah, I also have a background in, so to say, traditional filmmaking. So I'm a DOP, actually like by education and trade. But at some point, I also decided to try something new and I went to study in Germany in the International Film School Cologne 
and I had the MA which was called Digital Narratives. This is actually where my XR background comes from. So my first project was actually also a VR project about Ukraine, but the development of it was ceased because the war had begun. But this new project started. Somehow it grew from it because Ondra, we joined our efforts with Ondra and now we are developing something new actually. I can add to something how, how we met because it was on the event called Easdoc Platform. That's industry event in March in Prague devoted to classical documentaries but immersive ones as well. And Volodymyr was pitching his project which you just mentioned, Wash the Shore, which is about one town which was flooded by the Russians, the Ukrainian town which was flooded by the Russians in the past. And he wanted to recreate that in VR. And in the middle of the pitch, he said, and it was like two weeks after the beginning of the war, he said that he can't continue this project because he needs to reflect what's happening in his country. And it was kind of a very fragile moment of him because he was on the big screen, you know, in the in the hall, connected from Ukraine, and I had a like immediate feeling that we need to do something with that. It was really freshly after the time when the war started, so we had a, like a first online meeting, uh, and we decided that we want to do something. Then we followed on emails, and for a long time we were exchanging emails and discussing, you know, the things, and we agreed on a collaboration. But the first time when we met was actually in November last year, when Volodymyr was able to leave the country. And we met in Amsterdam at ITFA, because we were pitching already the Ukrainian project about war here. Yeah, so that's how the collaboration started. Yeah, I remember being at South by Southwest last year, just a few weeks after the war had started. And so, yeah, maybe you could elaborate on that from your perspective of being a Ukrainian and the professional aspect, but also just the real aspect of having your, your country invaded and then how you wanted to use your profession or your art to start to explore different dimensions of that. Uh, well, that's big and small question <laughs> at once, actually. <laughs> so, so, well, I try to apply myself in a field where I have competence. You know, because it's not only Ukrainians, it's, uh, as you see, people from many nations are now joining efforts to somehow bring end to this war. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just doing what I can and doing my best to help it, actually. So I can't think about some some details of uh, how I use my experience. I think you can you can see it here, basically. Because, well, actually, one thing I can think of is it's been a year since the war had started, right? So Ukrainians are mostly already adapted to this new reality. So it, for us, uh, it's already not something unusual. So we know how to live under these circumstances. But I mean, one thing also we aim to bring to the audience is like, look, this reality exists. It's very different dimension and have a look at it. And probably, well, have understanding and, uh, and ideally empathy to what is happening. Because we all understand that Ukraine is, for example, super far from Texas. And it's impossible to keep track on everything what's happening on Earth. 
and this is our job to to bring it forward, so to say. Yeah, and you had talked about this concept of the look, and maybe you could talk about like how this idea came about, which is essentially this like eye gazing in the sense of creating these virtual spaces, but it's in the broader context of the war in Ukraine. So yeah, where did this idea originate? Yeah, we were like in a situation that we already started to work on our sixth of thing, which we prepared the script and everything. And uh, when we were at the beginning of this development, uh, so we said, okay, this is a piece which we want to create, but it will take some long time. So in between, we want to create something like more simple and to bring the message as quick as possible. So we decided to create a 360 film and I was thinking about what could be the best approach in it and uh, what I personally like a lot in 360 films is when you can connect to the persons which the film is about in some way. I don't like much when people are talking on the 360 camera. For me, in some way, it feels super unnatural <laughs> in some condition. But what works really well for me is when they just look at you. And so I decided that it would be a nice concept to kind of uh, bring these silent looks from Ukraine to the rest of the world and just to communicate on this level. It was kind of a tricky to, like, from the technical point of view, maybe Volodymyr can uh, say more because he was at the place when he was shooting with the people. And the concept was uh, inspired by a famous artist, Marina Abramovic, and her project, Artists is Present, which was about looking into the eyes of people in the gallery space. So we decided to move this concept into virtual reality in a very specific conditions as it's a war on Ukraine. Yeah, maybe you could talk about the process of taking this idea and then how do you start to then find people, locations, and how did you start to collaborate at that point? Okay, yeah, we, we then iterated further with this idea and then decided to also add some sound design into it. So when you're looking into the eyes of the person, you kind of hear the sound of peaceful life, what was happening in that location. For example, if it's a school, you could see some sounds of school, one location is a bathroom, so you could see a destroyed bathroom and the guy who was living there is standing there and we could see like sounds of someone is brushing teeth and stuff like that. So we were like iterated a couple of times, uh, that's how we got to this result we have. We also like discussed about, as Andre mentioned, to have people talking or not have people talking and actually even uh, during the filming uh, just in case some interviews were recorded, if we need it in the future, but actually it worked without them. And I really liked the result. The film was shot during three days in Kharkiv, Ukraine, in some areas around it, which once it became like relatively safe to go there, once the Russians were like kicked away a bit. So actually there was not a big problem to find those protagonists some we had already because all three of us the crew was three people me Vadim Mahitka and Vartan Markaryan we are all from Poltava Ukraine and we are into arts and also film and video production there and as we were all involved into volunteering since the beginning of war we knew some volunteers at Kharkiv and 
those people actually helped us to find some protagonists. But I would say that probably 60% or probably 70% of protagonists, we just addressed people on the streets because we knew our locations in advance. So we went to that locations and we were asking people around if there was someone connected to it. People were actually quite willing to, so to say, collaborate with us. You know, it's just, they were quite open. Even if there was this very weirdly looking camera, it actually looks like a sphere with two antennas, like, you know, something from 50 sci-fi movies. <laughs> like, but still, like, you know, even old people, you, you, you could see, like, they've been through harsh things and they were like, okay, this, this thing won't kill me, so why not? Like, let, let's get into it. Maybe I can add just that uh, it was interesting that it didn't took much time for them. So it was just we asked for five minutes of their time. So that's why they were keen to collaborate. But I uh, have to mention that for some of the people it was quite difficult to look into the camera. Not only because it looks like as a weird creature, but also just because Volodymyr, the place, was motivating them. Like, like imagine that there is a, someone from the West or out of the country who you are trying to create an emotional connection. For some of the people, it was difficult. So we had some few unusable shots when the person is still looking away from the lenses. You know, so even for them, it was in this kind of difficult. But for the majority, it was okay. Let's say so. Then we were able to cut it in a proper way. And it was also another point that, well, it's obvious, but sometimes it's not. That it's 360 cameras, so we couldn't be there behind camera, so we had to hide. So the person was alone in the ruins in front of this weird thing looking into it, you know. <laughs> so, so I think from the side it was like some something peculiar to watch. But I think that maybe it was also good for them that they could really feel it because they were not disturbed by any persons there, that they just looked into the camera and they could feel the emotions. But yeah, like then telling them the instruction from behind of the corner of some ruins, it was kind of, uh, yeah, peculiar. And did you have like a remote access to be able to see what the camera was seeing to be able to help direct them? Yes, yes, we had, we had, we, we, we could watch it on iPad, so. And did you also, because of the intimacy of what it means to stand there and look in someone's eyes, did you also say, hey, we're going to like do a test run and you look into my eyes or did you do that type of directing or coaching with people or did you just have them go and look into the camera? No, we went straight into the camera, yes. <laughs> it's an interesting idea, maybe, uh, but I think that it would be also difficult and probably not that working, or maybe it would be working if I would be on the place, but I could not from the reasons that the in the days when we were shooting, the massive shooting started. But uh, yeah, it's like uh, looking from eyes to eyes, two Ukrainians would not work that much, I guess. So uh, yeah, so that's why we came straightly to the looking to the camera and to the imagination. Yeah, you had mentioned that the talking, that you don't usually like to have talking, but there is a scene that has talking, and I felt like there's a bit of a disjointedness of the idea or the theme. And in some ways, it kind of took me out of it, but I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that particular interaction, and, and because you already have maybe a bias against talking, why that was included in the piece. Well, I think that uh, with this, there was an idea... We did not shoot much live action in terms of like just observing the people. This was one of the few excerpts which we had and we kind of felt that it's good to use it because uh, by the end of the experience and we wanted to somehow 
move it a bit like and to tell you that and also the story of the last story the last woman is a bit different also that she's not in the ruins but she is in the refugee center and in her super small room she's looking at you so we wanted to tell by this shift of the style that it goes to the end or like yeah that it intensifies in some way but of course yeah it was a long discussion between me and Volodymyr if we should include this or not to be pure in this but then we felt like that their conversation was very beautiful and very sadly beautiful so we decided to include it yeah i really appreciated the aspect of being situated in a physical context that was clearly destroyed but also hearing what that environment would have been like had it been fully in its prime of existence when it was you know not destroyed and still existing in a way that was functional for people so it created this really interesting contrast between those two i found like by being immersed and seeing the visuals but also hearing the sound it created this contrast that really for me spoke to what was lost in that situation so i really felt that was super powerful so yeah i'd love to hear any further elaboration of how that idea came about to create that type of contrast well yeah it's uh, we had a more ideas at the beginning how it will evolve we're thinking about some arc that uh, the first person will be with a song the second one will be with this sound design which we have now all of the places and the third one will be like just silent like a pieta you know but that at the end of the day we decided that like having these contrast sound designs all over the place just with kind of emotional song at the very end was very much working you know so we decided to use this approach i think that uh, there was only like it was uh, niche things you know for example in terms of for example there is a scene in the hospital damaged hospital and we were thinking about that okay so you will hear the peeping of the machines and for example i wanted to use like this sound when the heart is stopped you know of the machine but for example for volodymyr it was already too much in some way so it was about like finding these small nuances about how we want to tell some of the little stories by the sound yeah they actually this example also like describes our collaborations quite good because what is marvelous in it that we have views from quite different points so i'm inside ukraine on this outside ukraine so some things can be too much for me something can be too much for onji but it's crucial for us to find that balance so it works for the audience for the audience outside ukraine but still has this so to say sincere look at it from inside of ukraine so this is somehow how we move it forward Yeah, I think that that's the thing, you know, that I had a question sometimes like why it's not made by one director and I answered that it's about the thing that if it would be done by somebody out of Ukraine, I would feel it that like just by me for example, so I would feel that it's very unconnected from the content and uh, because I'm not living there and for me this approach in documentary filmmaking is a bit Yeah, I, I don't like it that much. Of course, you can create a documentaries from the countries where you don't live, but you need to really deep inside a lot, live there for a long time and everything, which, yeah, that, that's what I feel that would be a good approach, but which it was not possible by the time to happen to that. So I think that that's how the idea was created, that me and Volodymyr will be the two directors and that it will be 
kind of merged like some because from Volodymyr what's felt is like the big need you know to tell the stories and there is a a lot of a lot of emotions for me there are less emotions but I think that this combination is crucial for the final piece so it's balanced and I advise it to actually to every filmmaker to do this even though that it's difficult because we were arguing you know for things like I want to this way this way but I believe that at the end of the day we came to the good result yes it was tricky because it's easier I think to find some kind of common point if we were somewhere like in the same place in Prague for example in Ukraine but we are like divided by space and so when you are doing all your work via like zoom this is kind of tricky part but we managed and yeah i really i really glad we managed yeah and, and for me the piece really kicked into another gear hearing the singing at the end and i'd love for you to maybe elaborate on the song that's being sung and how it's connected to both the culture and the country and maybe a little bit of the meaning of that song well, the song was recorded especially for... That, that's a folk song, first. And it was recorded uh, especially for this film by the trio based in Poltava. The name is Striboje Vnuci. <laughs> well, and actually, it's just a song about how the trees are blossoming in spring. And uh, there was a lady singing that, okay, I was also young once, but now, like, I'm not that young, but I still kind of find joy in life, so to say. So it's a, it's a song about beauty and hope. That's why we put it there, and that's why we put it there, and then there we have our last protagonist, uh, this old lady. I just add that it's also the nice contrast in the song, like that because it's about uh, like blooming thorns and this lady theme there, which uh, the whole film is about as well. It brings hope, but also sorrow at once. And uh, it was uh, also the idea that we wanted to have like a traditional Ukrainian song in the piece because Ukraine is well known by its uh, great polyphony songs, which are like a great heritage of all the region. And we wanted to show that Ukraine is a place which has these very rich cultural heritages and to show it to the people as well. Yeah, it's a 10-minute piece and so I actually had a little glitch at the end of the first time and so I went back and watched it a second time and then when I watched it a second time I noticed that the song's actually playing in the background in a, almost a subliminal way at the very beginning and I felt like, you know, by the time I got to the song, it really took an emotional turn for me to hear that song. And I was wondering if you had experimented with having the song play out throughout the entire piece or if you felt like it gave more emotional valence to have the contrast of having more of the environmental sounds and then ramp up with the song at the end. I think that we kind of didn't want to use the song like through overall piece because it would not create the emotion which we wanted because what I believe that it's strong that it's very minimalistic all the experience in terms of sound and music there's no music actually just at the beginning we decided to give a like a small echo which is going through the ruins which you are about to see which tells you that maybe it will come again so we decided for this uh, like a loop composition in music and yeah i believe that if we would use more of the music it would not work that much because then you would be focused too much on the sound and you know we all know that music is very emotional and it needs to be used very carefully in filmmaking i think
And so, what has been some of the reactions of, of people here so far? Well, actually, some people went quite emotional. And what was interesting that very often men went more emotional than women. So I actually, I think it was three times yesterday that then I was hugging a guy who was crying, literally. And uh, this is, I, at that moment I nearly started to cry myself. Uh, and I think it was for me the, so to say, the crucial point of understanding that we made something which actually has impact. So then I was like feeling the tears, you know, on me. It was like, that was the moment. For me, for example, was a very intensive reaction today. We, with one lady who was watching it and she was kind of a very, uh, like wild in her expression, very, very ex extroverted, let's say. And she said that when she watched the piece, it was very uncomfortable for her to look at the people. So she, for the second story, she decided that, okay, I will probably look away. I will not look at her. But then she found out that it's not a good approach, that she needs to look at these people because they can't look away from what's happening at Ukraine. So that was for me a very powerful statement and she was very moved by that. So it's, uh, yeah. So, so far the reactions are very, very powerful. Yeah, there's a AP reporter, I think his name is Mrs. Chernoff, who did a documentary that was at Sundance this year called 20 Days in Mariupol. And one thing he was saying was that really calling in this aspect of bearing witness and that these are images that are hard to watch, but they must be hard to watch. And so just inviting people to bear witness. And I feel like that's a big part of what you're able to do in such a minimalist way of, you know, this simple concept, but really well executed to have people situated in these scenes and you're bearing witness to people and their lives and you are able to read so much about the experiences that they've been through you can only sort of project or imagine but you're situated in this environmental context that is also bringing all these other dimensions so yeah that concept of bearing witness was really quite powerful yeah i can just add to that i haven't seen the film even though i, I know about it but You mentioned a very important aspect for me about creating the films from war or from very difficult conditions is because we can approach it in a way that we will show the atrocities and all the bad things in a full scale. And it can be very effective in some way, but I believe that it can also create some kind of uh, you know, block for the user or viewer to accept the content. Because if it's too cruel, too violent, so then I think that a lot of people are like in a manage, okay, I don't want to see this, this is too much for me. So for me, it's about finding the balance where it's still very uh, like, let's say dark as it is, the reality, but you are still able to absorb it, which I believe that in our piece we were able to do it by the things that it's quite intensive and dark, but we are not like using it uh, just to create, a, let's say, fabricated emotions in this. That's for me personally uh, very important but for example that was one of the things which with Volodymyr it's a bit different in a way that Volodymyr is more open to showing more tough images for example which is understandable of course but that's what we were balancing 
Yeah, this is actually another thing that then you are like somehow then we are living in the context of war. What is tough for me? I mean, like what is tough for Onji may not be that much tough for me, because like if you are seeing it, well, I'm lucky that my town, my city of Poltava is like intact. It was like slightly bombed a couple of times, but actually no one was killed and we have no like destruction and stuff like that. But still, there are like. You know, down the road we have a couple of cities like Kharkiv and Akhtirka, which suffered quite a lot from the war, probably just 70-80 miles from my place. And actually, and some things for me is just, okay, is it that much stuff? I just, being there in the context, I just don't understand that. That is, again, how our collaboration works, you know, like, Andre is looking at it uh, from Prague and like, well, yeah, yeah that, that looks too much, you know. I think that, for example, for our next piece, uh, the sixth of, the conversation is even more intensive because we are showing some actual events which happened and we are recreating them in 3D. And, for example, we had a, a lot of discussions about that we want to show the quality of Russian soldiers in some scale. And uh, I was like, okay, we definitely need to do it. But, for example, there's like uh, hundreds, thousands of cases of uh, raping during the invasions and we were about how, okay how you want to show this in VR because it's like uh, the medium itself is very intensive and you need to find a way how to show it because we want to show it in a way because it is reality which is happening but in a way which will be still somehow acceptable for the viewer and I think that we find a good way uh, <laughs> so but uh, you will see it uh, later on this year hopefully if I think the way we found it's like kind of really delicate in a way so it doesn't shock you but you get the understanding of what is happening. Yeah, in, in the 20 Days in Mariupol, Mstislav Chernoff is essentially documenting these different war crimes and getting this footage out into the world and then contrasting that out with the Russians saying, oh, well, this is all fake news, this is all manufactured, this is not actually real. And so you end up having this delicate issue of people like these AP journalists that are trying to report what's happening and then you have this cloud of misinformation, disinformation, fake news that is in issues like this. And so as I think about the medium of VR, you know, I can trust that you have a certain level of integrity of showing what happened, but I can also see how someone could create the opposite of what the facts actually show. And so I feel like it's an interesting, like, how do you navigate this level of either integrity or like, I know there's Associated Press and these institutions that have some established reputation, but as you start to document these different things with the medium, then are there ways that you think about how to navigate, how to either fully contextualize it or give people, I mean, obviously with the context of 20 Days in Maripol, you see the whole evolution of him shooting it. But at the same time, I just, I guess I'm thinking in a more philosophical or abstract sense of like this dimension of what is being presented and then the counter narrative that is like, how do you present it in a way that people could be able to watch both and know how to understand what actually happened? Well, it's uh, I think it's a tricky question because then we could think about it in every topic, you know. Like, of course, the things which are so crucial as war, we need to be like aware of what content we show and what's the truthful context, let's say. But that's what actually is not our goal here, to give you some fully scaled message about what the war is bringing. Because it could be a lot of things. We selected some segment, you know, what we want to work with. And actually, I think that what's like, 
<laughs> good for us, I will repeat again, but that we have a like, Ukrainian crew on board. Because that brings a lot of like things which are believable, because it's made by the locals. But in collaboration with somebody who is out of the country, like from Czech Republic, it gives you also some certainty that it's not overrepresented by the Ukrainian point of view, for example. Yeah, So that's what we are trying to mix together and yeah, somehow to create the picture in a, let's say, objective way. It's, I think, nonsense in this way, but to approach it at least a bit closer. And I can say a few words how we actually researched for the material, for example, for this, so to say, second episode of the project, which will be Six Dove project. So we actually tried to go as close to the source of the story to a person as possible. So one story we have just based on the interview we recorded with the guy whose house was destroyed. Another story we have is based on the Facebook page content of a Ukrainian artist and she was describing what was happening with her since the beginning of the war. So one story also based on on what was published on media and was quite impactful and uh, everyone everyone has seen it for example and also we'll look into some footage which was shot by people who were there into the battle for example and we use it as a base for the recreation so to say I just want to add that, of course, that we are using like media sources for our stories as well, but we are like checking them a lot, you know, and we are still in progress of finding also the persons. For example, the rape story, we know how the story happened uh, because it was from the like trustful source, media source, but we want to find the lady herself and like to have as clear approach as possible. Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't necessarily questioning. It was more of, as I was watching this documentary, I just noticed that it's like there's a whole other war of information that happens in these dimensions. And yeah, it's like as these new media, as it's a virtual recreation, that it could be potentially used for good, but also used for bad. And, you know, the counter propaganda just as easily by the opposition. So I feel like there's a interesting dimension of this as a topic of when you have a nation state that's just so willingly to lie and create this propaganda, then it's like you're fighting against that with a tool that they could also use to, you know, say, oh, well, it's just like fake news or whatever. Oh, but, but you know, think it's uh, like just it's a virtual reality doesn't mean that, you know, you, you can say it about every other medium, you know, you, if it's only based on sound, only video. I think that you can use it all the time like to okay so we will use this anti-propaganda as well and I would love to see something from the Russian side for example how they would create their piece in VR about how they think that the war is happening actually it is happening in different conflicts as well you know so it would be interesting to see it how they would approach it yeah but I, I believe that it's quite clear like in this the true is actually <laughs> Do you have any, any thoughts? Well, this war actually, it's a lot of people saying that, and I think it's true that this war has the biggest, so to say, digital trace in history. So this war is thought on virtual platforms quite a lot, actually. And this war shows us, like, actually, like, what new media are capable of as you say, for bad and for good. 
because we can see what bubble, what impenetrable bubble it's created for Russians, for example. I can tell you one story that we had a text message from our relative in Russia at the very beginning, I think it was like second or first day of this full-scale invasion. And she's like, well, I haven't seen her like for probably seven years because she used to come to Ukraine. She's not unfamiliar. She used to come like every summer to our summer cottage, you know. And now she texted us like, okay, you deserved it. You're like fascists, you deserved it. And at that very time we were sitting like watching on the news how our cities are bombed. Uh, we were like, uh, you know, especially at the very first day, uh, hiding somewhere during the air raids. You know, now we know that uh, the chances are not that big. So now actually not that people react to air raid sirens. Well, they should, I don't say you, you shouldn't react, uh, but still I would say in cities like Poltava, when there is air raid sirens, life goes as usual because no one actually goes into the cellar. Only, only I think kids in the school. Yeah, and that's actually it. But you can imagine what kind of informational bubble it created, and especially like at the beginning of war, a lot of Ukrainians tried to talk to their relatives, so to say, on the other side, because during Soviet time. Well, the money was in Moscow, so a lot of people emigrated from Ukraine to what is now Russia, right? So a lot of relatives and stuff like that. And uh, I have lots of stories then. Like I have a story then father told his son in Ukraine and father was in Russia that, oh, you don't understand what's happening. You will grow up and you will understand. <laughs> why it was needed and he said I'm being bombed right now <laughs> so that is the power of new media but again it's a tool so as Andre said it can be used for good and for bad and well we use it for good I believe yeah I wanted to ask about your installation piece because you have like a little mound with different debris and a projection map that is really quite striking and alluring and it's just really beautiful so I'd love to have you maybe elaborate about how that installation piece came about. Well, yeah, that was an idea which created our um, art director, Vartan Markarian, who unfortunately can't be here with us. But it was the idea that we will bring the porcelain figurines which survived the bombing in Ukraine because porcelain is uh, very fragile, but it's a very strong protective against heat. And as the overall country I would say and these figures are kind of a silent uh, witness who stand in these debris and remind what is happening at Ukraine and there is on top of it is a projection of the coals actually burning coals just to bring the feeling of burnt place. I would add that it's based on the actual experience we had during one of our trips into liberated areas but if you go into the house which was burned after bombing, what you will see sometimes is a porcelain figurine standing in the pile of ashes. For example, if it was a cupboard, cupboard would burn into ashes, but those porcelain figurines, which we perceive as something very fragile, they actually still standing, yeah, because they have a very high tolerance to heat. 
to extreme heat. And this is what we wanted to show actually as a symbol. Something that seems very fragile can be very, very strong. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. And it's a beautiful installation piece. I took my breath away when I first saw it and walked in. It's really quite striking. And yeah, as, as we start to wrap up, what do you each think is the ultimate potential of virtual reality and immersive storytelling and what it might be able to enable? Well, it's a still like the ongoing question if virtual reality is the empathy machine or not. But I believe that in some sense it is. You just need to use the medium in a good and creative way. And also you need to go on with time because as people are still more used on virtual reality, so what was working five years back doesn't work any longer. So I think that that's uh, how we need to approach it. And that's how me personally want to approach the medium. Yeah. I would add that it's just exciting to watch how the language of the media evolves and to be in part of it. Because I feel sometimes like we're still in the times of Georges Méliès, you know, we're still inventing stuff, but it's probably the most exciting time. Awesome. Is there anything else that's left unsaid that you'd like to say to the broader immersive community? I think we said a lot, uh, so just continue with the great work of all so the others here. It's a wonderful place, you know, to show all the immersive stuff. It's beautiful how diverse it is, you know, one corner which is devoted to music, our corner <laughs> devoted to tragedy, I believe so, with other pieces as well, but in a good way, you know. So, uh, yeah, I believe that that's how the medium should continue, you know, to be as diverse as possible. Yeah, I would just thank the community for the interest in our piece and yeah, let's enviar we trust, so to say. <laughs> awesome, well, fresh memories, the look, is there a distribution plans or it's still going to be on the festival scene or where can people potentially see it? Yeah, we will probably hope to continue on some other festivals and we will have from 21st of March uh, the big exhibition in Czech Republic in Prague where it will be for uh, two and a half months for the audience. We prepare some school programs to bring the younger ones to understand the war to create some additional programs. Amnesty International is our partner, People in Need is our partner so we'll be able to create as big impact as possible. Awesome. Well, yeah, it's a really evocative and powerful piece. And uh, thank you for taking the time to produce it and come here to show it here at South by Southwest. So thank you. Thank you a lot. Thank you so much. So that was Andre Moravec. He's the co-director from the Czech side of the Fresh Memories, The Look, as well as Volodymyr Kolbasa, who was from the Ukrainian side of Fresh Memories, The Look. So I have a number of different takeaways about this interview is that, first of all, well, the piece is a fairly simple concept of people looking into the camera in the context of these destroyed contexts and these situations in Ukraine. But at the same time, I think it's a deeply effective way of trying to connect to what the real human impact of this war is. And just to be able to look into people's eyes and to see the surrounding context, you can look around and to see this destroyed, burnt out areas. And also the juxtaposition of the sound design of creating this tension of what the ambience of that place would have sounded like versus what it is now. And yeah, at the end, they have this Ukrainian folk song that comes in. And for me, that was deeply impactive to hear just the emotional tenor of that song that had been specifically recorded for this piece. 
and I thought also created a really great contrast between the more sparse sound design that happened in the beginning where it's more ambiance and you're listening to the sound effects of these places, but then they kick it in in the second half when they start to play that song. So yeah, like I said, kind of a straightforward, simple concept, but really effectively executed. And they have other pieces that they're going to do on this theme of the war in Ukraine as well as you move forward. And, you know, which brings up to me just these different dimensions of, you know, watching this 20 Days of Maripol by Mrsislav Chernoff and seeing how just the role of fake news and propaganda has in this deeper information warfare. And it was really interesting for me to hear Volodymyr elaborate on that, saying that this is, for one, the top documented war in the history of humanity, but also the level of information warfare that's happening around this is like on a whole other scale, especially when it comes to what's happening within the bubble of Russia with more of a fake news propaganda filter bubble that's happening in the context of even people from within the context of Russia, how they're viewing what is happening in the context of the war in Ukraine and why that war is happening. And so as we move forward and start to use these new immersive technologies, then how do you start to have different mitigations around that? Just because you go from documenting what's happening with these cameras into creating these virtual simulations. And so it starts to get into this area of how you start to have things tied together back into what's happening in the physical reality and still have that level of authenticity just to, you know, as we start to move forward into this new landscape, as we have these immersive experiences that are going to be deeply impactful for shifting people's perspective on things, what can be used for the more exalted cases of trying to document human rights violations could also be used to justify human rights violations by other people as well. And so I think there's this kind of experiential warfare dimension that I think is going to be a new component of the future of virtual reality. Not to say that they're specifically exhibiting aspects of experiential warfare, but there's already information warfare that's happening in the context of this. And so as you start to add in these new immersive communication technologies with AI and deepfakes and everything that is happening with generative AI, especially, then when you start to go into these immersive experiences, then yeah, how to tie it back into what is grounded into the physical reality, I think is going to be a key aspect. So I'll be very curious to see how they handle that in the context of their next piece, which is more of a sixth off piece, it sounds like, that is exploring some of these different human rights violations that are happening in the context of the war in Ukraine. So anyway, really fascinating to be able to break down their process. And again, like I said, a really deeply emotionally impactful piece to be able to see what's happening on the ground level of Ukraine and to be able to connect to the people of Kharkiv. So that's all I have for today. And I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Voices of VR podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please do spread the word, tell your friends, and consider becoming a member of the Patreon. This is a this is a supported podcast, and so I do rely upon donations from people like yourself in order to continue to bring you this coverage. So you can become a member and donate today at patreon.com slash voices of VR. Thanks for listening. 